Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. We are your host, Aaron and Matthew Miller. Once more, we are going to approach this topic, this dance between the Heavenly Seven and the Celestial Seven, and right smack dab in the midst of these, is what Aaron and I have come to think of as the, well, the Celestial Scapegoat. The archangel that it seems that the book of Enoch hints was actually replaced, replaced by one of the twins, not only in the heavens, but also in the celestials. So with that in mind, let's get uh, Aaron in the saddle and get his opening comments. Aaron, the mic is yours. Well, it's good to finally get around to um, this subject the um it took two shows to get here and uh so um we found some uh, finally we can uh put the data together and end this this trilogy up indeed we can and we're just going to have to jump into this we're going to start i guess we're going to start with well the Chapter of chapters, shall we say. What we find of what happened in the heavenlies begins in the scripture in a very strange uh, verses in Judges chapter 5. It's here that things go off the rails as far as celestial mechanics goes. Most people uh, leave these verses right where they're at. They don't even try to approach the simple fact of what is stated here about things during this song of Deborah and Barak. It states things here that's really just off the rails, but when you come to grips with what it's it's actually saying, you realize that, well, it may be saying a whole lot more than you think that it was. Starting in verse 23, "'Curse Miraz,' said the angel of the Lord, "'utterly curse its inhabitants.'" Because they did not come to the help of the Lord to help of the Lord against the warriors. These strange verses. Um, when you look at the preceding verses, you realize that he's talking about the stars. That when Sisera was brought down, it was the heavenlies that was warring for the children of Israel. Now, these verses are really off the charts, but really what this could be alluding to is exactly what the Grand Tech model and the Fifth Planet Nice model loudly declare that, well, things went on in the heavenlies, and there is, in fact, a fifth gas giant. It's the scapegoat, and right here we just got a proper name for it, Miraz. Aaron, your comments. Well, just as you've taught me before, is that Miraz is um, simply Maoz, the word Maoz, uh, which means fortress in Hebrew, which is found in um, 
most specifically Daniel chapter 11, uh, a name for, well, a shortening for Azazel's name, if you want to go um, and check out the, the dynamics of that and how those names connect. Um, it, Dad, should I go into that? You certainly can. Maoz appears in, uh, most specifically, Daniel chapter 11, verse 38, where um, the false prophet is described as worshipping a god of uh, forces or fortresses. That word for fortresses is Maozim. Um If you go to the root of Maoz, um, the, the word that word in Strong's is H4581. And it, its root is found in H5810, and that is Azaz, or shortened as, but as we, we know this from Azazel and from uh, the, the shortened named Azale. So um, this name finds its roots with this fallen angel, but certain, simply Maraz is that word Maoz with Arash in uh, in the middle of the name, and the Rosh means prince. Uh, I'm literally studying the things that you taught me, Dad. So, any any, any further discussion on that? Not from my end. You have stated it adequately enough. Go right ahead. Um, Rosh being a Hebrew letter, or uh, I forgot to mention that the Rosh is a Hebrew letter for R equivalent to an R. Anyway, so that was what I had to um, note about this Miraz. And yes, you're, you're right. This is... Um, you actually, in the latter broadcast, we had to fumble around get, calling it the scapegoat planet and all these other names. And one time you accidentally called it Miraz without giving this proper description. Now this is this is what we are going to call this scapegoat planet, this uh, fifth gas giant is the Miraz. And people normally get shocked at that when they realize that, well, its proper name is right there in the scripture, but that's the only the only thing that makes sense. And when you do look over it in its context, uh, make no mistakes about it. Uh, this is exactly what it's implying. Now we can uh, read the entire stanza, and just remember, ladies and gentlemen, that, that at the proper time that the waters in question is, of course, the Milky Way. Celestial speaking, the great river in the heavens is the Milky Way. But we'll start here in verse 20. The stars fought from heaven. From their courses, they fought against Sesera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away, the ancient torrent. The torrent of Kishon. O my soul, march on with strength. Ladies and gentlemen, just take note that literally uh, this torrent being referenced here is the ecliptic. It is the orbital path. And literally, it's just stating that the stars moved out of their courses to fight against this uh, wicked general, against this uh, wicked invading uh, king, this wicked invading army here. He literally just come out and told you that it is the stars at play. Verse 22. Then the horse's hooves beat from the dashing, the dashing of his valiant steeds. Curse Miraz, said the angel of the Lord, utterly curse its inhabitants, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the warriors. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Whenever you realize that, well, it is the planets that come out of their courses and describe the very things that just happened, you have to take a deep breath and realize that he just gave to you the proper name of the planet, of the scapegoat planet. It is Miraz. Aaron, back to you. So is this talking, when it says that the that the stars came to aid them, does this mean... Um, Figuratively, as in the angels whom we mentioned in the former broadcast, the archangels who are over those stars or planets, 
we're coming to aid them? Or is this something literal that somehow the stars and uh, were somehow these planets were causing effect on the battle at play? Both, son. Exactly. Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. Both the angels and the planets left their courses, that causing uh, physical effects on planet Earth. That's exactly what I'm saying. The angels, in effect, the seven guardian angels, in effect, altered the courses of the planets to create a window of effect uh, that produced, well, the defeat uh, of this Cicera point-blank range. So literally, the angels, the archangels, moved the planets out of their places. That's what I'm saying, point-blank. Back to you. So this, when it says that in verse 23 that the it mentions the inhabitants of Miraz, so is this what talking about aliens on this planet, or how are you going to interpret that? It is when you address the Greek in this situation that it really stands out to you because the uh, term in question here, this word that you're, you're looking at is going to take you a little bit by surprise when you address where this word is in the New Testament. This is G1774. Inuki, in this case, informed that it is right here, ladies and gentlemen, let me read to you the verses where this word is at in the New Testament. It's going to take you a little bit by surprise, but I'll read it, I'll read it out of the web version. But if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised up Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. That's the word right there, to dwell. This word is referencing the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Therefore, the it, in this case, it really makes that verse uh, in Judges chapter 5 explode. No, it's not talking about aliens, Aaron. The next time this word is used in the New Testament is 2 Timothy uh, the very first chapter, the 14th verse, and he does it to you again. That good thing which was committed to you, guard through the Spirit, who what? Dwells in us. Same exact word, both times in the New Testament. It's referencing here the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Literally speaking, Aaron, what you're talking about here is you and I both know that... Every archangel has many hosts, i.e. soldiers, i.e. armies. That's what the modern translation, that's why uh, the web version is a really good modern translation because we say Lord God of hosts, but people today don't know, don't realize what that means. It means the Lord God of armies. So literally what he's stating here that the archangel and its soldiers did not assist in the battle against Caesarea. That being the case, when we switch this over from the heavenlies to the celestial, what's that mean? Of course, this uh, fifth gas giant would, of course, have satellites. It would have moons. You would reckon these uh, to be uh, the lieutenant angels to the guardian or to the archangel. As far as a planet is reckoned, you would reckon that to be satellites. So, here we go once again. God is telling you more uh, than you can possibly understand utilizing one train of thought. He's speaking to you prophetically. He's also speaking to you literally. So, it's both, Aaron. It's both. So, literally, he described to you uh, using this one word. And, yes, you're right when people read this verse in different uh, translations. Uh, let's try the web uh, translation for uh, Judges chapter 5, verse 23. Uh, here it says, Curse Miras, the angel of the Lord, or I'm sorry, the angel of 
Well, we don't pronounce his name, so it says the angel of YHVH cursed bitterly its inhabitants. Here it states inhabitants because they didn't come to help YHVH to help YHVH against the mighty. So here in the web translation, that's really the correct way to state it's inhabitants. This is what, um, uh, of course, the New Testament uh, phrased it, those that dwell, or the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. So it would be inhabitants. So that's a really good way to put it, but it's just so difficult trying to go from the Koinonia Greek to English. Let's, let's try the New American Standard Bible. It says, yes, utterly curse its inhabitants. It says inhabitants again. The KJV says inhabitants, but it means uh, those that dwell uh, with the planet, or literally speaking, with the angel. That means this particular angel's host or army. It means this particular planet's moons. Now, you branch that out to the gas giants. Of course, we know there's transjovian objects. What's that mean? What does Jovian mean? That means Jupiter. There are also many asteroids uh, that are in the wake of, Jer uh, of Jupiter's orbit. These aren't satellites. They don't go around Jupiter, but they're in Jupiter's orbit. Orbit. They are called trans-Jupiter objects. So this can also mean those. So we have, uh, uh, as far as looking at this in the angelic, you realize that some of these angels underneath Mirage would be officers and some would be soldiers. So some would be literal moons and some would be a trans-Mirazian objects. So, point blank range, both barrels square in the chest, Aaron. That's how I gave it to you. It's literal and it's prophetic. It is heavenly. It is also celestial. It's both. Aaron, back to you. I, I don't know if this is too off topic, but we know who... We know from the New Testament who the opposite of the Holy Spirit is. Um, that is uh, Beelzebul, who is the, the called the Prince of Demons in the New Testament. Um, Christ, um, when the scribes accused Christ of being possessed by Beelzebul, they were um, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which was the actual spirit working within him. So, um, according to our theory, I don't, I don't know if we had broadcast this yet, but according to theory, Beelzebul is um, Azazel's son, um, the son of the uh, fallen uh, angel. And we, we might be able to see that in the Testament of Solomon, where Beelzebul is called the um, the prince of he is called the he's called a fallen archangel in there but rather it could be pointing us to his father who was um the fallen archangel anyway i just wanted to point that out yeah you mentioned the holy spirit dwelling within um something i guess the opposite um would be beelzebul who is uh theoretically and ironically azael's son Exactamundo. The only way to wrap that up in the perfect terminology. Unfortunately, this cannot be done in English. It has to be done in Spanish because Spanish is, well, such a farly superior language to ours. But that's the only way I can put it. Exactamundo. Exact, that is exactly the case. So, uh, everybody begins to realize that... that <laughs> We better come to grips with what's going on because the Bible is telling us a whole lot more than anybody is letting on. Uh, the technical data is literally off the charts. What's coming is off the charts. Uh, what's going to happen is, is literally off the charts. So, uh, you know, the first thing that, that I see when, when, when I took a look at this verse, Judges chapter 5, verse 23, I looked at it. I didn't understand it. I had to come to grips with it. But before we go there, Aaron, what do you have to add before I jump into that topic? Well, should we talk about 
Isaiah chapter 14, or um, should we go to 707? Well, I leave that in your capable hands. I was going to go to the 707, but now that I think about it, the choice should be yours. Uh, because they need to understand, son, that Isaiah chapter 14, uh, well, everybody has, has heard me speak at length, uh, length about this, that this is the only parallel with certain cunningly devised fables. Once you tell them what Isaiah chapter 14 really describes, it's going to rattle their cage. So I leave that in your capable hands. You decide which one we cover first. All right. So in verse 23 of uh, Judges 5, this the very verse of Maraz, the name the number 707 appears three times within that verse. And we knew that that number had to be something special, something um, significant. And uh, it appears multiple times in the scriptures. Um, but before I get into that, I'm going to explain to for to who don't know, the number 707 appears in there by the use of alphanumerics. Hebrew and Greek do not have numbers. They have each letter signifies a number. So a word in Greek or Hebrew can be a mathematical equation. So that number could be made up by a word or a phrase in the Hebrew or the Greek. So we found that this number appears in verse 23 three times, and we knew it had something to do uh, with this planet and um, very something very important. So the first thing that I my eyes caught was that it appears in the same number appears in Genesis chapter 10 verses 8 and 9 and that is both of the that is the number appears twice once in each of those two verses so this I knew I've been familiar with is the verses concerning Nimrod who is the giant hunter I'm pretty sure we did a uh, a story I'm uh, a show on this so uh I'm just going to read those two verses that it appears in. I'm actually going to use the um, Brenton's translation of the Septuagint because while our English is English translations have it wrong, but I'm going to give it with the Hebrew names because the the na the names are given here in in uh, Greek form. So I'm going to give the English names. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a giant upon the earth. He was a giant hunter before the Lord. Therefore, they say, as Nimrod, the giant hunter before the Lord. Now, before I go anywhere with that, Nimrod has the root for the root word for marod. If you cut off the the noon in the beginning, it has the word marod in it, which means rebel. And this word, same word, appears in the Hebrew name for the um, Babylonian god Marduk, or the Hebrew form is Merodach. And um, it is believed by some that Marduk is actually inspired after Nimrod himself, who was the founder of the Babylonian kingdom, um, and he arose uh, to as the memory of him disappeared in history, he was uh, turned into a god and worshipped as one. But um, it is interesting to find that Marduk in Babylonian culture came to be equated with the planet Jupiter. And it's intriguing to find that Marduk was supposed to be the heir of Anu, um, the father god. So 
um, Marduk appears, we know who the heir of the father is, that's Jesus Christ, who is the, uh, um, who is represented by the king star Jupiter. I, I'm not going to begin to interpret what that means here, but um, that's what I have here. How do you interpret that? Well, that's exactly what we were stating before uh, about the whole simple fact that, well, Azazel's firstborn must have been that infamous name used in the New Testament. So that being the prince of demons, the Beelzebub, uh, you're drawing co correlations here once again with the celestial and uh, the heavenly. So this is exactly what would happen here. Uh, literally what's being described is that, well, somehow, some way, uh, they were going to, uh, well, there was going to be war in heaven. And we know that Jupiter is the linchpin to this entire solar system. And it would seem to be that the verses in question are stating that this celestial scapegoat I was going to rearrange uh, the orbital positions of the planets, including planet Earth. Uh, that being the case, something had to be done. This would have had catastrophic results, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, son, back to you. Well, in a sense, since Nimrod would be represented... Nimrod, or Marduk, would be represented by the planet Jupiter, and he was a giant hunter. That would mean that he would be fighting the uh, – hunting the children of the likes of Azel and his um, – his descent – and um, the giants, even though this isn't actually Azel himself. This, this is after the flood. This is another um, incursion. Well, son, that makes sense because we know of the second incursion. We know beyond any shadow of a doubt that this is what was going on in the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah. We know that the New Testament comes right out and says uh, that uh, these fallen angels, that's what was going on there in the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah. They took on strange flesh. Uh, there's no way around it. That's exactly what the Bible is talking about. So uh, lots of scholars talk about this. Well, how can there be these uh, these hybrids after the flood? Well, that's it. That's your second incursion. They got wiped out uh, via whatever it was that happened in that valley of uh, the raining down of hail, fire, and brimstone. Uh, this is what happened. Uh, this plays out. So uh, there's no way around it prophetically. That is exactly the information being translated to us, Aaron. Well, the this number appears in – well, in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is mentioned in Genesis chapter 19. And interestingly enough, 707 appears in it seven times in seven different verses. Um, we this is directly mentioning, uh, directing, pointing out the the second incursion, and although this isn't directly talking about as Azael himself, this could be um, talking about a fall, um, a fallen angel. Um, and, well, I've, I've talked before about how um, Isaiah chapter 14 may be talking about multiple things. First, it's talking about Azel, the fallen angel, and second, it's talking about um, the first giant after the flood, um, one who has had multiple names. He's, he has been described in multiple different uh mythologies and different religions and different historians mentioned this this entity and they called him Bell. Sometimes he was uh, Bell or Bellis. Uh, 
sometimes he was confused with Nimrod, but he was actually the first founder of the um, of Babel and Babylon. He was the first to build the kingdom there, and according to theory, Nimrod came, killed him, and took over the kingdom. So he was rather a conqueror um, with. Nimrod was more of a conqueror than anything. And um as we're so literally we're seeing the correlation between this is the story of the Grand Tech. If Nimrod is Ju- represents Jupiter and if this giant represents is also a representation for um Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, he would also represent Miraz. So Nimrod coming to kill him rather describes the whole Grand Tack incident very rather clearly, doesn't it? As an isochronal event. Okay. Son, everybody has to sweep out what they've heard, the bad things about Nimrod. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he was a giant hunter before the Lord. It does not say, the Septuagint does not say he was a mighty hunter. He says he was literally a giant hunter. He hunted giants. You just described the events in perfect detail. It was a giant that first founded Babel. Nimrod hunted him down like the dog he was. This is why in the story, Nimrod is a hero. Let's talk about another isochronal event. You and I uh, had to come to grips with which planet represents which one. Because we know that uh, Jupiter uh, is also represented as uh, the sun. Saturn is also prophetically what? The father. But they're also angels. How did we come to grips with this? The Bible comes right out and tells you. Of course, which angel uh, was the angel of the Annunciation? Gabriel. That's quite correct. Who came to assist Gabriel in uh, the book of Daniel? God comes right out and tells you. Michael. What does Michael's name mean? Who is like God? So, of course, Saturn is a representation of Michael prophetically it's a representation of God the Father. Jupiter literally represents Gabriel and prophetically it represents the sun. This is why, this is the whole reason why Gabriel announced Christ's birth. So you could know you'd have these interactions. So when we look at this prophetically, God does everything isochronal. Time is not linear, that's not what God says. The book of Ecclesiastes puts it right down in stone. God chases after what has already been. Time is isochronal. Now, knowing that, these events that happened, this second occursion, God just gave it to you on a silver platter. He said that after the flood, prophetically, we had another incursion, and prophetically, Nimrod was chosen to root out this primeval spawn, this firstborn of the fallen, which was Bel, or sometimes called Belus. Nimrod became Christ's representation. What does it say? What does the Greek say? He was a giant hunter before the Lord. That's good. Before the Lord, doesn't matter where you go, Hebrew or Greek, doesn't matter which side of the mouth you're talking out of, being before the Lord is good, Aaron. It was never bad. Bad shepherds, wolves in sheep's clothing, has propagated the idea that Nimrod was bad. That's not what God said in Genesis. That's not what he said. No matter how you put it, which language, it says that Nimrod was before the Lord. The Hebrew tells you, Yes, he was extremely mighty. What does the Septuagint come out and tell you? He was hunting giants. That's what made him mighty. Duh. 
That's the plainest way I can put it. This is another way I have to use a foreign term because English just doesn't cut it. Exactamundo. So, prophetically, here in this case, uh, who was it uh, that crushed this, the head of the serpent? Prophetically, this is the Rosh in Hebrew, the letter R. The head, that letter that's been inserted in the midst of Miraz. Who was it this time? It was Nimrod. God used Nimrod to crush this particular head of Satan. So, this is exactly the way God does it. It's exactly the way he does it. He doesn't do it any other way. Let's, let's take other magnificent, prophetic things that happened. We know when the mighty Assyrian invaded the beautiful land, an angel wiped out 185,000 Assyrian church. Wiped them out. What happened in 70 AD? I'll tell you. Prophetically, God stood it on his head. What happened was the Assyrian 12th Legion was ambushed and every single one of them was put to the sword. Not one of the Roman Assyrian 12th Legion lived. So instead of an angel, it was a person. Instead of being smote by a plague, they were killed in an ambush. It's what God does. It's what he does. Everything is utilized throughout the courses of time through shadow and silhouette. You just gave prime examples of this very thing being utilized by the Lord your God, Aaron. Because when God says something, it's always true. It's true yesterday. When things happen today, it's true today. When they happen in the future, when they happen tomorrow, what he said in the past is still true. So, we know what happened to the scapegoat. We know who was dispatched. Raphael was dispatched, correct? Yes. Okay. What happened the next time? How was that command obeyed in this time? Well, God dispatched, instead of an angel, he dispatched Nimrod. Do you have a problem with that? Well, this very thing's going to happen in the future. And guess what? God will dispatch who? That's right. Christ the King. Do you understand, Aaron? So, the command for God to say, you need to put this this in, put this dog down. Crush this rosh of the serpent. Crush this head. The order is obeyed and executed just by different ones throughout the course of history because time is isochronal. It is not linear. Aaron, it's not linear. So, back to you. Okay, so I think we've um, dwelled on that subject. Um, adequately. Um, with this mention of 707. Another thing that I, I really wanted to cover um, that we didn't get to cover in the other shows was go straight to Isaiah chapter 14 um, and describe verse by verse what this means within the celestial realm. So I will start with um, verses 12. Well, this is verses 12 to 15. How you have fallen from heaven, O Halel, son of the dawn. How you were cut down to the ground, who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Yet you will be brought down to Sheol, to the depths of the pit. Okay. There's a lot here. As I was mentioned, as I mentioned before, hey, well, um, I was reading from the um, WEB translation, but um, I translated Morningstar as uh, transliterated the Hebrew Halel. It is, as most of you may know him, as Lucifer, or in the Greek, Eosphoros. Um, this is, first of all, an, uh, a name for the star, um, another name for Miraz. It is a name for Azazel, 
and it is an um, is a reference to this uh, this giant king of Babel, the first uh, king of Babylon. I, I'm, we did a show on this, did we not? Um, it was on the second incursion. I'm pretty sure that's when we covered Nimrod and fighting this uh, giant king. And if you if you want to learn more about that, go on to the other show. But here now we know there's another thing that's being talked about: the celestial nature of this. What is going on in the celestial realm of um, of this passage? So it says he would ascend into heaven, and he would exalt his throne above the stars of God. He would sit in the Mount of Assembly. So how would you interpret that, Dad? Literally, what these verses are saying is something of dire consequences to us. It is literally prophetically stating here that the celestial scapegoat was going to come between us and the sun. Its intentions was to, uh, well, we know that there's only two planets that can be the evening and morning stars, and that is Mercury and Venus because they are between us and the sun. And literally what you're talking about here is there would have been a gas giant between us and the sun. Now, when you try to come to grips with the simple fact that if that had happened, it may very well have been the doom for all living creatures on this planet. But literally speaking, this is what we're talking about. That literally um, this must have been seized. This, this game could not be allowed to occur. Now we do know that the other planets, of course, can be seen in the morning and evening uh, hours. So yes, Jupiter and you know the the other planets can be evening and morning morning stars. But it is Mercury and Venus that, of course, plays the most prominence because they are closest to the sun. They're between us and the sun. They are closest to us. Imagine if a gas giant was to take up a position between us and the sun. It would literally block out the sun. Boy, you talk about an eclipse. We have no idea exactly what we're talking about, but we know how bright that the moon can get when the moon is full. That have been dwarfed in comparison. This ties into the simple fact that this event had to be stopped. It had to be checked. And there's no way around it. So literally speaking, uh, this is why it had to be stopped, and we know prophetically what's going to happen in the final time. It's going to sweep in, and it's going to be hurled headlong into the lake of fire, i.e. the sun. It will literally be grappling in the heavens with the side of the Son of Man, and Jupiter will push it into the sun. It will degrade its orbit down to a place that Miraz cannot swing around the backside of the sun and be hurled out back into the deep of the Kuiper Belt. The sign of the Son of Man, Jupiter, latches onto it, degrades its orbit, and it's cast into the sun. That is what is going to happen. That is what is to come. So, Aaron, back to you. This is coming from how he... He will ascend to heaven. So I'm trying to put this in perspective to the verses. Him ascending to heaven refers to him coming towards the sun. And above the stars of God in that he goes even closer than Mercury to the sun. Um, even with this, the heights of the clouds. Um, could this, the, when it means the heights of the clouds, could it be talking about the Milky Way, what, how do you interpret that? Well, literally speaking here when we're talking about the clouds, uh, not only is it referring to our own cloud cover, it's not only referring to that. 
Remember that the scapegoat has already been in cast into the deep. This cloud, of course, would be the debris that is in the Kuiper belt. So physically speaking, it's literally talking about his entire trek. He not only ascended above or went outside of the parameters of this solar system. That makes him alone godlike, him being able to go into the Kuiper belt and come back in. Of course, our planets do not do that. They don't go into this deep, this wilderness of this, these, this interstellar cloud uh, made up of debris. So literally speaking, uh, Jupiter, Saturn, Venus, none of the other planets do this. Now, we had talked about that prophetically perhaps this is exactly uh, what happened to the resurrection angel or, celestial speaking, Neptune. We have no idea if Neptune was in the deep or not, and God added to it, dragged it in, like I stated before. It is possible that Jupiter latched on to Neptune before it was turned into a gas giant and pulled it in from the Kuiper belt. We just don't know. We don't have that data. We just don't know what happened. So this, prophetically speaking, he's literally saying that he's the only one that has done this. Gun and not only has he gone into the deep, he's going to be the planet closest to the sun or the center, the seat of creation. Aaron, back to you. So, I'm not sure how much time we have left, but with with all this stated, I feel like, so, what, we know it caused Azale to fall. He fell out of pride. But when we're talking about this on a celestial scale, something physically had to happen to Jupiter, I mean, to uh, this mirage, to make it come out of orbit. Something on an astronomical level, something having to do with physics, something having to do with some sort of science that caused it to come out of orbit. You've told me before that the flood was caused. Something, the thing that caused the tilt of the Earth was the superwave, the galactic superwave. Do you think that this superwave caused mirage to come out of orbit to become unhinged well this plays a twofold manner let's, let's remember that uh, the Chichilub impact I surely believe this impactor also uh, facilitated in the knocking us off our axis no doubt about it now as far as a super wave is concerned Yes, this was the instigator. This was the uh, uh, the event that corrected the problem. However, Aaron, the superwave is not what caused the celestial scapegoat to come unhinged. It decided to do that all on its own. This was an act of rebellion. This was not what God designed. That's not the order of the planets. That's not ever what he wanted. So just like judges used to describe for us exactly what happened, that, well, when the angels moved around their representative planets in the heavens to facilitate this action, whatever it was that defeated Sisera, Miraz in an act of rebellion did not facilitate, did not assist, correct? You're looking at the inversion of that. Literally speaking, this angel fell voluntarily. Well, what if this is something symbolic? What if the planet, an understanding what happened to the planet, helps us even understand more about Azil's fall? Say that it was that the superwave came first. Then the planet decided to come out of orbit. And if we're going to say that it, something happened to it that circumstance that it came out of orbit, could that mean that somehow 
Well, what is the super wave? The super wave is a symbol of the action of God the Father from the center of our galaxy. Correct? That is correct. So does that mean that if this super wave is what caused um, Mirage to come out of orbit, does that mean that it was an action of God that made Aziel think that he needed to rebel? Like there was an action that God made first. Then Aziel decided this is either my time or this is what made him want to do this. And if so, what event do you think that would be? Well, son, I'm not going to extrapolate on that, I don't think, because you're literally saying that God forced him to sin. No, that's not... I'm saying it was an action of God mm -hmm. that made Azale reflect in his... gave Azale... Well, there's only one event. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to say that God forced him to. I'm saying that it was an action of God that gave and inspired him to make this act. Well, there's only one thing that could possibly be. There's only one thing that could possibly be. The action of Adam and Eve being expelled from the Garden of Eden. What other event was before the fall? Because this is what the Bible says. The angels fell, and there was a flood. Now... We've already stated that the flood pro itself prophetically is a galactic superwave, which is the arrival of God the Father, prophetically one way or the other. So what event could have seen – could the scapegoat have seen? Well, we know what it stated what God did. He come down in the cool of the day and walked in the garden. That's what it says. Then the next event was Adam and Eve were expelled out of the garden. So prophetically, was it either of these events? Highly speculative. I don't know. But yes, you're right. Well, it could have been uh, the scapegoat saw that God did something, and that did not force the scapegoat to fall, but he did. So your thoughts, Aaron? Well, interestingly enough, I, I don't, I don't know how to argue its authenticity, um, because it's not in any of the um, the biblical languages. But there's a book called The Apocalypse of Abraham, wherein Azel or Azazel is interpreted as the serpent in the Garden of Eden who tempted. Adam and Eve. So, would he be, would this serpent, oh, could he have been the actual serpent? Well, as I just stated, I just gave you your options. It well, what if this, the very... It, 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 calm down, son. I stated this first. First I said, God came down in the cool of the day and walked in the garden. Is this the event Azazel seen? Or was it the creation of Adam? When it well, says, I will become... Either way, it says, I've become like... I'll become like the Most High. That word like resembles Adam in Hebrew. It, it, no doubt about it. And how was he going to do this? He was going to come down like God did and speak to... Not Adam. He came down and spoke to who? Eve. So in this way, he did become like the Most High. He descended, walked in the garden, and talked to Eve. I mean, so is this a reason why the apocalypse of Abraham was penned in the first place? We don't know. That's speculative. But the events you described, it matches. I mean, God really did come down and talk physically with them in the garden. Well, that's exactly what the serpent did. Correct? If this be a zazzle, you could be lining things up perfectly. Your thoughts? Yeah, that's a, that's a, good, a very good point. Um, 
and driving him to being if he is the was the serpent um a pawn of satan well he was always a pawn of satan and even will be in the last days um he well that makes him the arch nemesis of mankind well that's kind of the whole point uh he is the arch nemesis of mankind uh, so I don't quite understand your your statement concerning that, uh, because that is the case. Um, uh, well, case in point, do uh, you realize that everybody was wiped out except eight persons in the flood? Correct. I I mean that's that's no one else has mimicked that. Correct. No one's even come close to that. Even the slaughter of the innocents did not entail the butchering of the entire planet save, you know, eight people. Correct? Or am I wrong? Your thoughts? Correct. That's very true. So this is absolutely uh, <laughs> why God would prophetically tell you all these things. Well, in the manner that he's done, actually. Uh, it would make all this make sense. So, I mean, that's kind of disturbing to think about that, but, well, it is what it is. I mean, I have no use to argue with that premise at all, as a matter of fact. Back to you. Well, um, that's all I got. Um, finally, we may have finally been able to cover the... Uh, the rest of the data we have for this mirage. Uh, and it's pretty intel. I mean, we talked about both the heavenly and the celestial. Uh, this this stuff is real. Um, you know, it's 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 pretty uh, important that that well, people just need to come to grips with what's happening around them. Um. You know, I'm going to share uh, my last uh, one of the last things that that uh, well uh, one of the last things I've tweeted here is of late. Please try to understand that the astrophysicist that done the the mathematical work on Planet Nine. He tweeted on November seventeenth, twenty seventeen, that this is literally from his Twitter feed. I'd say it's a good chance that Planet Nine is the niece. Planet number five. So this is Michael Brown coming right out and publicly stating that yes, Planet Nine mathematically would have to be the Nice model fifth gas giant. This is stating this publicly. Let me say that again. He stated this publicly November the 17th, 2017. This is real. We don't have to presuppose what's going to have what's going to happen astronomically speaking during the tribulation. The scapegoat gets cast into the lake of fire. I mean, I've already given everybody the examples of of what that well, what that means. Um, everybody needs to realize that uh, you know you need to look at these planets. Look up Wasp one hundred four b. It's black as pitch, and it's right next to its sun. I mean, literally, these planets have orbitals of, of just days. Tres 2b, you need to look it up. Wasp 12b, you need to look them up. These are gas giants that absorb almost, almost all the light that strikes them. They cannot be seen. The only way you can see these planets is when they do a transit across the face of their parent star. They all have orbitals of just days. They literally fly around their parent star. The Book of Enoch tells us that when the scapegoat was cast into the deep, rocks was cast over its face, prophetically telling you that we have no idea uh, what it is that's causing these planets to be, uh, you know, pitch black? We just have no idea. What is it? Is it 
Is it is it titanium oxide? We have no idea. There's no way to know. I mean, we we have no idea what it is. Uh, but literally speaking, um, they're as dark as the backdrop of night behind them. You can't see them. I mean, is it oxides of titanium in its upper atmosphere? Vandinium? We have no idea because we can't go there. So we have no idea what is causing these planets to be blacker than black acrylic paint. We have no idea. But we do know this, that... Wow. It, I mean, how could you have an orbital period of just two days? They're literally closer to their stars than Mercury is to ours. They're right on top of it, and they're gas giants. The book of Revelation tells you what happens to the scapegoat. When Christ the King gets back, i.e. the sign of the Son of Man, i.e. Jupiter, the Jovian sign, what's he do? He takes the scapegoat and the false witness and cast them headlong into the lake of fire. Jupiter shoves Miraz into the sun. Everything makes sense. Aaron, back to you. Well, something you might notice about these, about this whole series is that you can't understand the celestial na nature fully without understanding the heavenly nature of it. You can't understand the heavenly nature completely without understanding the um, without understanding the celestial natures. For example, we may never have under determined that Azel was an archangel, one of the seven archangels, if we didn't understand that there was another planet, a planet that was thrust out of our solar system. So um, that's really interesting. You have to understand how God talks about more than one thing at once, and things match up and line up like that. Even with, I mean, even with the thing about Nimrod, I mean, I just knew a few details, but I, I basically taught myself during the show what it had to do with the whole thing, so it's very astounding. Well, Aaron, this is the whole reason why that the Bible is presented to us in two languages, Greek and Hebrew. That's the whole purpose behind it, because you simply cannot contain all the technical data in one language that comes out of God's mouth. You just can't. But literally speaking, tonight, now everything makes sense. Aaron, I mean, yes, you say that you just put it together tonight. Well, it made sense thousands of years before you put it all together. I mean, you will never understand everything that the Bible actually states until you enter into the kingdom of heaven. That there's just your brain's not big enough, my brain's not big enough. There is not enough data storage on the face of this planet to contain everything that comes out of God's mouth. There's just no way. But now we are able to relay the information so that people realize what exactly happened. Not only with the angels, but with the stars. You know, let's go back to how we started this series, Aaron. Let's go back. What does the book of Revelation state about those stars? Now listen, Aaron. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. He come right out and told you this was a mystery. Both things mean two things. He just came right out and told you. And he literally stated that all these things are in whose hand? That's right. Christ the King. So, literally speaking, when he said the sign of the Son of Man was coming, uh, are you 
not so sure that that's why NASA started working on their gravitational models in the first place? Maybe those ten kings that operate God's footstool knows a little bit more than what you're led to believe, Aaron. See, that's in, that's an important question right there. How did these scientists know to even start modeling as to what happened and why the solar system is in this present arrangement? Are you so sure that the ten kings that run this footstool didn't believe already these things, that the sign of the Son of Man was going to come inbound? Your closing comments, Aaron. Well, it's sure an adventure. Um, uh, now I I hope we've enlightened uh, a lot of you, and it was a it was really great. Um, well, God bless you all and keep you. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Until next time, God bless. God speed. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.